Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Markets Show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle. First thing I'd like to say is Happy New Year, everyone. It seems like an age since we were in this studio. Obviously, it's not. It's about three weeks. hope you all had a lovely Christmas. I know I certainly had a relaxing one, mostly. Here we are, back again. And if anyone was expecting the new year to have started calmly, well, you couldn't have been more wrong. Here's to talk about this today, our Bradley Gerard, news editor. How are you, Bradley? Rested, John, after a good Christmas break. Rested, glad to hear it. And uh, Harriet Russell, rested? Yeah, not so rested, jet-lagged, but jet-lagged. Uh, staying with us. Okay, so we're back and your sector, Harriet, has mm. gone crazy. It has. Which you kind of expected this time of year, retail. Yeah, of course, you always expect the trading statements for Christmas figures to start flooding in, but usually that's not until midway through the second week, something like that. And yeah, it's all started to kick off a bit early. Yeah, and uh, Bradley, I mean, generally, the news has just been mad. Listeners will forgive me, hopefully, for mentioning the word China again. We talk about it an awful lot. But um, it has been the thing that's kept people busy this week. Um, Mark Dampier at Hargreaves Lansdowne was obviously watching the Chinese stock market very closely today because he says that after just 870 seconds of trading, it closed. So they've got this sort of circuit breaker thing they're this doing This is over the 7%, 7% fall, yeah, so 870 seconds. Yeah. Not Basically, what, what happens is if there's a 5% fall, they, they pause the market for 15 minutes in the hope that in that time people will gather themselves and think about what they're doing more sensibly. Then they reopen the market, and should it fall another 2%, then they halt trading for the day. I, th- I thought it would be quite sensible to get the hell out. Well, that's what everyone's doing in, that, in those like 870 seconds. Yeah, it kind of stems from a, an issue that there's meant to be um, a ban expiring tomorrow, which would be Friday, on large shareholders selling their stakes in companies, listed Chinese stocks. That's likely to be extended, but the fear that it won't be is prompting everyone to want to get out in case on Friday, lots of large shareholders start selling in very quick succession. But that very fact says this market's not a real market now. You're right. I mean, I was, I was overhearing a conversation um, by Nicole Elliott this morning, our trader, and um, she was just saying that what this really means is that you, you can't value anything because there's no mark to market. You could argue it's very difficult to properly analyse Chinese companies anyway. Mm. This is doing absolutely nothing to help the cause of uh, you know, clarity. No, well, I actually said to Nicole, Cole, let's do a bit on China's, China's market. Let's have a look at the charts. And she said, what's the point? The charts are irrelevant in, yeah. in, in terms of the uh, Shanghai Composite. I mean, exactly, yeah. The, the, the only relevance is the, the drama, I suppose, the amount that is falling and the fact that it shows that you know an administration that has arguably been very, very good at sort of managing the change in its you know economy and um, managing the message very well, um, it's kind of fumbling here, you know. Kind of suggests an economy is easier to manage than a market. <laughs> it actually does, yeah, which I suppose maybe makes sense, but... Which I've never really thought about no, in that respect. But, but um, uh, yeah, perhaps you're right. But yeah, it's causing chaos. Um, oil's down to $32, the latest is that, reading. Got, has that got anything to do with China? Or is that- uh, well, it might have a little bit, just general sentiment and also... Um, you know, China's obviously very linked to the commodity cycle. If they're weakening the renminbi, which they are, that will we'll obviously be in a hope to kind of sell their um, their natural resources, you know, at a cheaper price than rivals. And it, it all just feeds into the oil price, mm. really. Well, the oil price did try and stage a little bit of a rally because obviously you've got the building tension mm. in uh, the Middle East, yeah. um, particularly between Saudi Arabia and Iran. But after, with OPEC uh, still pumping, that kind of mitigates that. So yeah, yeah. But, you know, that could also turn on a sixpence. I mean, we, Again, who, who knows what could happen there? Yeah, who knows? One day Saudi Arabia could just wake up and say, OK, do you know what, everyone, we've had enough of this and we're going to let prices rise and we're going to take our chances about sort of keeping market share against the Yanks. But, yeah, indeed. Yeah, when will that happen? Who knows? Indeed. And it, but in terms of, you know, the geopolitics of the Middle East, I mean, it doesn't look very... 
very stable. I mean, it's getting. It seems to be getting worse and worse and worse. Yeah, it's a shame because week. obviously the um, the sanctions on Iran are about to lift, and there's um, obviously a lot of uh, positive sentiment about the new uh, top brass in government over there. And th- this latest thing between it and Saudi Arabia has uh, soured any sort of positive movement that was going on there. So, you, in, in in many ways, it's a shame. And obviously, um, from a an investment market perspective as well, it's obviously having a negative effect. And I guess there's worries. Of- Going back to China, the the the, ec- the economy there is, is is slowing in a way that's perhaps not as controlled as uh, as had been previously hoped. Yeah, I mean it's the great one of the great debates in finance at the moment is you know what what at what pace is the Chinese economy actually growing? I mean people could argue that even if it's only three or four percent, that's a fantastic figure in the relative sense compared to places like the UK and the US. But yeah, the real the real growth rate is is not really known. I don't think. Um, I think that's the problem. And yeah. That's, you know, when I was discussing this with Nicole. You know, her her view was well. We just don't know no. what those figures mean. What's There's some very good educated what? guesses, and I guess you can look at PMI surveys, which are sort of done externally. But yeah, it's very very difficult to know with the administration being very guarded and careful about what it wants to release and let people know. Not a good start to the year in that respect. Anything else going on more generally that uh, that struck your eye? Seven days is generally where we, we would cover this sort of stuff. What we got going on? Yeah, I mean, there's quite a few things. Um, I guess one sort of um, UK based thing is. Uh, the subject of um, FTSE 100 executive pay always uh, always comes up, and um, the the high pay uh, commission, they're a think tank. They basically do this study, and they found that on Tuesday, by the end of Tuesday this week, the average FTSE 100 CEO would have already earned more than the average worker of a FTSE 100 company earns in the whole year. Well, they're worth every penny, aren't they? Well, that's the debate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we were actually we've got a big feature. In fact, we published. Uh, just prior to our bumper issue in 2014, uh, a survey of bosses and the value they add that uh, that Philip Ryland puts together. We've got a new one of those coming out uh, very shortly. I mean, on the subject of chief execs, let's quickly turn to, to Harriet because uh, we've had one departure already. We have, yeah. It's uh, it's not even fully published yet on the website, but it will be hopefully by the time ah. you're listening to this podcast. And that's how that's how breaking it is, really. It's uh, Mark Bolland. Mark he Bolland. is going to be leaving M&S in April and will make way for Steve Rowe, who is a lifer, put it that way. He's been with the company for more than 25 years. Well, this is, and this is one of the things that Philip talks about and that we've often talked about in terms of um, management and wh- where chief execs are recruited from, mm. whether internal candidates work best, whether, whether it's best to bring them in from outside. But, you know, Steve Rowe did a great job in the past with the food business. Exactly, yeah. There's been a bit of a sort of misreporting, let's say, today on the fact that he is currently head of general merchandise. And alongside Mark Bolland's departure, M&S also released third quarter results. The general merchandise figures in those third quarter results, which include Christmas trading, are absolutely appalling. Right. Yeah. So no and one wants m and Yeah, basically. Uh, down 5.8% on a light-for-light basis. That's, uh, that's pretty poor, even by M&S standards. Indeed. Well, I didn't get any pants this year. <laughs> <laughs> that's why, then. That must be why. No, did I? Christmas pants. <laughs> oh, if you didn't either, it's just, yeah, floodgates. But that is misleading um, to sort of tie Steve Rowe too closely to the general merchandise business because he's only been in charge of that for the last six months. Okay. He took over from John Dixon, who sort of, quit in a rather sort of sudden way last July. Uh, Prior to that, he had been, as you say, head of food, which is still going absolute gangbusters compared to the rest of the grocery market. Like for like sales, we're up 0.4% in the quarter. In the grocery market that we have at the moment, that is 
that amazing. Is, that is amazing. amazing going on a light-for-light basis. I yeah. mean, they're not massive Mark suspenders, but they're big enough. They're I mean. definitely big enough, I would say. And um, it's, you know, it's it's more proof in the pudding of, of this whole sort of premium end of the grocery market tending to do better at the moment. Um, it's, it's extremes, isn't it? You've got premium at one end and you've got discounters like Aldi and Little at the other and it's all about the squeeze middle, it I'm seems sure, like. I'm sure it's also figures the Waitrose had had a bit of a rough Christmas. They did have mm. a bit of a rough Christmas, but what's interesting about that is the market was shocked by that. They hadn't expected that at all. Waitrose had been pretty much throughout the whole of last year posting some pretty good figures. So, mm. yeah, looking for some more sort of detail on that one. But again, Waitrose isn't obviously part of a listed entity. Um, in, in terms of Waitrose, I mean, John Lewis also made its way into seven days this week, didn't it? Um, mm. its, uh, its sales over Christmas were pretty good on a, on a light-for-light basis. Again, not a, not a listed public company for investors, but uh, interesting in terms of the sector nonetheless. Yeah, so um, Bolland... Yes. We've had Simgo, or we are we welcoming a change of management there? Uh, it seems like the overall response has been a positive one from from the analysts that I've spoken with today, um, and there's been plenty of comment as as you might expect. I think the general feeling, however, was that, and this is a comment from John Stevenson at Peel Hunt. He won't mind me quoting him because I just spoke to him, but he says, "Really, what you need at the head of M&S is a born trader, and by that he means someone who really gets retail, gets product, gets customers, and understands what they what they want." And he, his opinion is that Mark Bolland was not that person, and that Steve Rowe is. Well, that was also the opinion of Ken Morrison, who was uh, Mark Bolland's previous boss at yeah. uh, at uh, Morrison. Oh, at Morrison's, yeah. Were. Yeah, there so we'll go. we'll see. There's been a bit of a question raised about perhaps why Laura Wade Gary. It's a bit of a mouthful. Well, but she's the uh, online. She is online, and uh, she came from Tesco. She did. She? she was in the headlines a lot last summer, mainly because there were really some quite serious teething issues with the M&S uh, revamp of the website, which was really her strategy. However, that being said, the online sales are up 21% in the third quarter. Yeah, I mean, I did hear that on the radio this morning. The chairman, Robert Swannell, was was uh, talking about this great performance in online, mm. but they're coming from a, a relatively weak base. They are they, coming there? from a relatively weak base, and there's a lot to be said for the fact that MS has to catch up with, with many of its rivals in terms of online performance. That being said, she's obviously proven herself to sort of turn that end of the business around, and the doubts over the website are starting to recede. What's, what's more is that the broadsheet papers really last summer had started to really dub her as Bolland's, quote, heir apparent, and that has not mm. materialised. Well, the shares were up this morning, weren't they? The shares were up about 1.1, yeah. So in the first 100, pretty much every share, in fact, every share was down except yeah. one, and that one that was up was Marks and Spencer's. Yeah, it was. Um, another... Good trading statement or Bolland departure? <laughs> well, <laughs> I guess a mixture. It was a totally mixed trading statement, It's and to me, it's the usual story, general merchandise, bad, food, good. What's interesting is that they're really pushing their margin improvement as a real sort of selling point of, of, the stra- of Bolland's strategy working. Uh, again, John Stevenson at Peel Hunt, his opinion is they really need to sacrifice some of that margin gain to reinvest in the business, reinvest in quality of the product um, they don't need to be making the gross margin that they currently are it's, it's pretty huge so uh, so they can afford to take a little bit off that mm. whether the market will see it that way I, I my argument with John was for a long time Marks and Spencer's margins were under pressure and the market was forcing them up forcing them up they start to do that the quality of the product dips the sales dip his opinion is that top line growth is everything in retail and that's what M&S need to be f- focused on market share they're yeah. still big. I mean, they're still huge. They're still huge. I think, that, yeah, but. I think market share is probably less of a concern for them. But I think they just need to really be focused on two things, which is quality of product and pricing. Yeah, and that'll drive the top line for them. 
I think I'm um, picking up on something you said there, Harry, as well about um, about online and how important that's becoming is um, uh, something that was uh, mentioned in the next uh, update as well. Their like-for-like store sales were down marginally, but it was the online um, bit that kind of saved face over the Christmas trading period. But importantly, management kind of admitted really that in spite of Next being quite um, a pioneer in the home sort of shopping industry, um, you know they are seeing rivals catching up in terms of the quality of their online propositions so the fact that MS's website is improving is kind of interesting because that was almost in a way indirectly pointed to not about MS directly but the general theme of companies in retail having better websites that was pointed to by next management and they're obviously a little bit concerned that everyone else is catching up to them so it's quite do, you know, do you know what over christmas i saw it was uh, eric eric schmidt uh, from Google, mm. or formerly of Google, I can't remember if he's still there, but he was talking about how how the UK is actually an e-commerce leader. Mm. Um, you know, we were actually very good at it. So I mean, it's quite competitive. The environment mm. that M&S and Next are operating in, and ASOS and Boohoo, it's very competitive. So we're doing it well. But, yeah, you know, competition is not always good for investors. So, uh, no, no, and I think e-commerce is a, is an interesting theme as well. If if we move on to uh, to the Sainsburys and, uh, oh, and home yes. retail news, that, that I mean, this was spectacular. Well, f- three or four days in for home retail shareholders. <laughs> Yeah, three or four days into the new year, and uh, it looks like Christmas trading is uh, is going to be dwarfed by by this um, by this news this week. It's uh, yeah, Sainsbury's obviously leading British grocer has made a failed attempt to buy Home Retail Group, which some people may not have heard of, but you'll certainly have he- heard of Homebase and Argos, and that's the parent company. So mm. anyway, we were, we spent most of yesterday sort of deciphering it and and understanding quite why Sainsbury's had uh, had even gone there. The synergies are not clear and that's not my opinion that's Clive Black at Shaw Capital okay but I mean what's your opinion I, I mean, don't care what Clive Black I like Clive Black uh, I think he's a good he, analyst he's a good analyst hey stand uh, by leave Clive alone <laughs> leave Clive no I do like Clive Black I think he's very very good he is but, good uh, Harriet I want to hear your opinions yeah well I mean he's he did corroborate my view which is that they've obviously gone after them for Argos not for Homebase um, and why Argos which they used to own Bizarre. I mean, that is the sort of bizarre yeah. thing about this. Yeah. Um, I mean, Argos, to, to their mind, has um, what a lot of e-commerce giants or even startups need, which is um, an established distribution network to get goods moving around the UK. Sainsbury's, it would seem, is not confident in its own distribution in this respect. Well, it's and had problems there in the past. Yeah, I mean, has... it's actually in the past had problems just getting food into stores on occasion, which yeah. is bizarre. I mean, that was a long time ago. Yeah, but, uh... yeah. So they, they've gone after Argos for, for that. However, speaking to a number of people on, on the subject, there are some obvious sort of issues with that insofar as Argos in terms of you have to understand that whenever acquisitions or deals are made, you're buying an awful lot of goodwill, which comes down to branding. Argos is absolutely not considered a top quality brand by by London analysts and and I would have to agree. Do you think there's a bit of regionalism going on there? <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, there's always a bit of regionalism I think um with London analysts that's certainly something to bear in mind, but having said that, you know, I do think that Argos doesn't do anything or doesn't sell anything special. I personally think its offering is quite weird um mm-hmm. to go in source something from an in-store catalogue you sort of get this rudimentary sort of look at it and then you have to buy it obviously a lot of people doing click and collect there now as well Um, i've used it works on occasion it does but i don't think i mean again the thing that really came out of yesterday's sort of research on, on 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 the story was that you know compared to its its closest competitors, let's say Dixon's Carphone, and even to some extent AO World. I know we've got our own extreme views on that. It's not really doing anything that sets it apart from mm. those two. So 
quite why Sainsbury's would would go for it now. I personally think that comes down to simply a valuation case, which is that home retail groups under enormous pressure. Its market value is halved over the last five years, and uh, it's trading at a discount to the to the FTSE 350 sector. So and it's got um, lots of cash in the balance sheet. Yeah, as well. well, you you actually spoke to to an analyst, didn't you? That was uh, a lot more bullish on 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 the whole thing, and and he really said that actually home retail groups balance sheet is quite attractive. A lot of cash, a lot of debtors. And when you look at it in, the, in those respects, it, it might make sense financially. There's a lot of scepticism about bankers, yeah, isn't it? Is sort of thing, yeah. getting off to a roll in the new year and, and pushing this deal on, on Mike Coop and, and sort of selling it to him, which, you know, might have been the case. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, on, on a paper basis, it looks on that stuff we mentioned there it, a bit more sensible. But there are, as um, you found out, some big, big issues potentially with a merger. I mean, yes, Argos has a good distribution thing set up now with the same day delivery, but it doesn't deliver perishable goods. No. So, you know, if this is a move to try and fight Amazon, which launched its own kind of, um, you know, food delivery pantry service, service yeah, yeah, pantry service, then this which is... Which I think it will struggle with. Maybe it will, but this there's going to be, need to be some investment, basically, even if you look at Sainsbury's, you think, okay, yeah, they, they have an online business and Argos has a good distribution, but Argos doesn't distribute fresh products and that, that will need to be looked at, I'm sure, yeah. if they well, obviously, if there was a deal, there, there may not be. But yeah, it's a funny one. I mean, you know, Argos and Home Retail, obviously, as their parent, has invested a lot of money into Argos over the last few years, mm. and their store estate is. I mean, it's a lot nicer than mm-hmm. it actually was. The experience yeah. is better. Cook and collect is a big thing. Still quite bloated, though. I mean, Sainsbury's would have to take on a huge amount, you know, a huge amount more in terms of rent liability and stuff yeah, but like that. It, but what does Sainsbury's want to do? It wants to also grow its convenience offering. It so does. Where, where there are stores, you know, that, that are not necessarily working as, as Argos is, it can perhaps... Yeah, exactly. And that was definitely a feeling that came out of yesterday's research was that was that they would expect to do it. And actually, Freddie at Canterbury Fitzgerald, he said that he wouldn't be surprised if Homebase was sold off altogether mm. um, just because it doesn't have the existing network that would be the whole base of the deal so yeah yeah it'd be interesting no it's, it's fascinating it's fascinating you know I, I think the idea that you know chief executives are gullible fools who investment bankers can pull one over and push deals on is is a bit wide of the mark mm. you know I, I, I don't think that's the case you know I don't think Mike Coop is a fool and if he thinks there's something to be done with this then I think there's probably some some merit in that you know the retail world is changing. It's uh, and and he's got to do something. Yeah, yeah. And click and collect is a big thing. And somebody else, I think it was in something I read, said that um, almost. I think I forget this right. About half of John Lewis's online sales were click and collect. So yeah, yeah. that theme in itself in retail is becoming very very big. And if Argos is becoming more prominent in that, might be a bit strong to call it a leader in it. But you know maybe that's part of uh, Mike Coop's rationale. Actually, funny, funny enough, the last thing I bought from Argos, it wasn't from Argos. It was from eBay, and I collected it mm. from an Argos. I so it's also think, tapping into that mm, whole, yeah, you know, I, the wider e-commerce trend. Exactly. I think that's actually where the distribu- distribution network shows its biggest strength is that they've opened themselves up to being um, a Collect Plus um, destination as well, which um, obviously opens itself up to multiple retailers. You can buy your goods anywhere and pick it up from an Argos. They're really yeah. just utilising their physical estate and, and maximising it. No, I think I think it's really really fascinating. I'm really excited to see how this one's going to play yeah, out. It's, it'll be yeah, uh, you know, I think the supermarket sector needs something to give it a bit of a uh, bit of excitement. It's been a bit of a miserable place for the past few years. Well, yeah, nothing so. really changed last year. I feel like we started the discussion, as I've just said, with this very split sort of premium discounters squeeze middle narrative, and nothing really changed mm. for twelve months, even on a sort of quarterly basis. When the figures came out, it was the same old story. So, mm. yeah, there might well be a sea change at, at bay. Of course, they've got Neto as well, which uh, 
They do. Who knows what's going to happen there? They do. Probably a discussion for another time. It is. <laughs> what I did notice on our Rise and Fallers on the Seven Days page is that Ocado has taken a bit of a battering mm. this week. It's 13% down over the last week. And I know there's some people out there short selling that company. Um, it's never been a particularly popular one through the no. market, though. So well, I um, never liked it. No, and it's had a huge, <laughs> huge logistical issues. It's obviously got itself tied up with Morrison's, which is probably not the grocer you want to be closely uh, associated with right no. now. Mm. So, uh, so yeah, not surprised. Okay, so um, we're probably going to have a few more retail trading statements in the next few mm. weeks. I mean, all we've had so far is some um, some shenanigans at Sports Direct about the uh, pay and some very strange. Yeah, they they had a busy Christmas, yeah. bless them, over yeah. at Sports Direct. It's so <laughs> weird. <laughs> it is weird. Um, story, but then Sports Direct is weird. Yeah, um, I think I think the thing that the thing for me that I mean, this is Harriet's company, but um, I, I I covered the story. Um, while she was away, I guess for me, I mean, Harriet will agree or disagree with me, but a lot of this is 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 bad PR mostly. Actually, um, Mike Ashley is really good at generating bad PR. Yeah, and and one would argue any PR is good PR, but I think the thing if you're if you're looking at investing in Sports Direct, the, the biggest thing it needs to do, um, arguably, is make an acquisition, according to some analysts that I've spoken to and notes that I've read. So if you think that it might be able to do that and from my understanding it's got hasn't got a lot of debt you know it could be in a position to buy something if it needs to to meet its growth targets so i think although these things are potentially sort of worrisome annoying irritating that it is it is mainly about pr really i mean they've they've addressed the hmm. pay of their staff mike ashley's overseeing a review um you know this whole michael murray thing yes it's not ideal but it's just it's just bad pr essentially and i do i do wonder as well i mean sports director was you know the go-to place when you know when times were a bit tight you know you did a new pair of trainers mm. or mm. a pair of tracksuit bottoms uh, you go to Sports Direct. I mean, if you read it's feeling a bit more flush now. Yeah, exactly. Well, that that could be a problem, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, you'd be surprised, though. I think. I mean, uh, listeners who've been on 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 the podcast for a while will will remember that I used to cover travel and leisure, which is now down really to Bradley. But between the two of us, we we've been looking at sort of the consumer sectors as a whole, and I think what is quite surprising a lot of the time is how many of the trends born out of the recession do still hang around, and that's particularly true of things like restaurants, discount restaurants. Um, Restaurant Group obviously owns a number of sort of cheaper brand cha- uh, chains that really focused on families and discounts, and. You know, they they were still growing right up until the end of last year. That's so. true. The pound stores are having a bit of a torrid time. They are. That that is a, another interesting one. Uh, again, don't want to speak too widely on the subject. There was but a trading update. There was today, a trading from... update today. Um, shares down ten percent, which is yeah, quite a drastic movement for the start of the year. But uh, to be honest, we there wasn't a huge amount in there that wasn't already flagged at the time of the interims, uh, which were the end of November. Um, it was a pretty poor set of. Figures and and the main theme that's coming out of Poundland at the moment is that it has completely mismanaged its acquisition of 99p stores yeah. and the rising costs from that deal aren't being absorbed quick enough. And there is the other lesson perhaps to, to take on board when we're looking at the Sainsbury's home retail deal, should it happen, is that acquisitions can be hard to get right. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think everyone expects acquisitions to be dilutive in you know maybe the first year there are integration costs to to be measured and, and what have you but i think in poundland's case the general feeling is that there was some due diligence that was seriously overlooked mm. investment bankers it's their job isn't it <laughs> <laughs> well you know it was christmas and that's what they get paid for <laughs> yeah okay anyway that's enough retail for this week so i'm sure we're gonna have lots more in the in the weeks ahead yeah. um good piece in the magazine this week in the new spotlight section bradley on dividend cover yeah it's good uh, written by mark robinson obviously income's a key focus for a lot of our listeners and readers and um, yeah they they might want to have a look at this um, because 
while it can be tempting to seek stocks that have a high dividend yield, it's important also to know how well that dividend yield is covered yeah. by which that means can the company afford to keep paying this or how long does it look like it can afford to keep doing it. So um, dividend covers a very important metric for investors to consider, you know, not just the high and attractive dividend yield. Yeah, this is something we're going to be looking at in a lot more detail in the weeks ahead, actually. I yeah. think this is, this, is, this is critical. I noticed uh, Pearson has popped up on a watch list. Our former owner has uh, yeah. popped up on a watch list of ones we should be watching in terms of their dividend. Yeah, it is. Uh, the, the, there's a chart in there that looks at the 10 highest yielding stocks in the cover, so it's mm. worth uh, listeners having a look. Okay, so this week, first week back of the year, really, is, uh, is the week we always publish our tips of the year. So now I'm going to uh, bring in Algie Hall to talk about last year's tips of the year uh, and how well we did. So, Algie, let's talk about the tips of the year. We're not going to give away, obviously, the 2016 tips of the year, which come out, depending on when you're listening, tomorrow, today. But already we've had a bit of a disaster with one because it's gone through the roof, but... Uh, Let's, yeah. not, let's not give it away too we, much. We, we won't. But, but also, we should say, it's gone through the roof. It's um, had a uh, very good trading update. One of those profit warnings when they're having to warn that profits are going to be far better than expected. The kind That's, we like. The kind we like. The kind we like. very much in keeping with them. Um, what that tip's about. And, yes. um, and a- actually, I think it probably that positive momentum will carry on throughout the year. Let's hopefully. hope so. Hopefully. But not very helpful anyway, because the price is 10% higher than it was in the no, magazine, which is, will come um, out today. I think people call that sensation gutting when yeah, stuff gutting, like that happens. Gutting. <laughs> Never mind. Let's talk about last year because that's pretty good too. Yeah, last year, um, yeah, we, we did very well in the end. Um, so the tips were up 20% on a total return basis. That's pretty spectacular given FTSE, what the markets yeah, are doing. FTSE all share off 1.4%. Obviously, that's um, up till um, I think the 6th, 5th or 6th of January. So... Um, we're, we're today the markets have fallen a lot, but yeah, well, but it's it's a very it's a very good result. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. So, how did we do it? How did we do it? Well, obviously, we um you know relied on the skills of our fantastic team, um, and um, they came up with ideas which mainly beat the market. Uh, we we had a couple of uh, ones which didn't do so well. Barclays got a bit lost along the way. Record, which we was had a, to... a management upheaval thing. Yeah. which which yeah. we were very. I mean, we didn't see that coming. We didn't see that coming. And we no kind one of, saw that coming, really. No one saw that coming. And we're, we're waiting on hearing what, what's happening with the strategy, and we've stuck with it. Record we've kind of, uh, we, we, we went out of, because the logic of that tip was that they would be winning more work. Actually, they've been losing work, um, despite a very positive backdrop for mm. that business. We, we uh, got out of those shares in November, and actually they've fallen quite a bit more since. But yeah, but having said that, having yes, said yeah. that, Record was up quite a lot before... Things started to go a bit. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it, it, it was it was um, it was a story that um, you know it, it, it had so much promise. There's a definite logic to it. It's just the story didn't play out as we were hoping. And um, and when that happens, I think you know that's that's time to time to sell. Yeah. Anyway, um, enough about that. Enough about the things that didn't go so well. So yeah, I'm, all, I'm, all, I'm always focusing on the negative and punishing yes, myself with them. That. Actually, there there are um, lots of positives. The biggest positive was Veolia. Our international tip of the year. Bit of a Last, surprise that one, really. Well, Veolia had a um, had a very good recovery story, and I mean, also you know what was going on in Europe was playing on our mind. We you know we knew we were going to be fighting against currency on that one, but even building in those negative currency movements, there was a total return of forty nine percent. 
Wow. So, I mean, that, and, you know, it's, it's even more spectacular if you take the euro effect off. It's near 60% without the uh, effect of the euro. And that's waste management, essentially. Waste management. They Where? just were doing a lot with the business to um, boost earnings. And we've actually sold out to that one right at the end of the year. Just because we felt, um, or, or Mark, Mark Robinson, whose tip it was, felt that really the stories played out a lot and um, all the, you know, all, all the wins we saw them uh, having have actually happened. Mm. And the shares, the, you know, they, they're quite expensive on some, look, looking at them in valuation terms, so we can't really see a re-rating story there to follow through with. So, it's, so we just think, you know, we've had that, that we've, you know, had our lot with that one. Let's not be greedy. We'll, um, we'll move out to that one. But, um, well, as you know, Mark, if you've heard him on this podcast, you wouldn't believe it, but he's, uh, he is, in fact, a Yorkshireman. And uh, as, as they would say up there, where there's muck, there's brass. So uh, good stuff. Indeed. What um, else went well? So what else went well? Persimmon went well. Uh, house Builder. This, this, this one um, got off to a terrible start. Um, it, uh, on the day we published our tips of the year last year, Jeffries um, came out with a note saying house builders are so expensive, you know, we can see negatives, all going to do really badly. Persman was down 5% on the first day. We, we, and this was, this was um, like the moment we've just had with the company, which has just gone up 10% mm. before our, just before our tips come out. So this helps us um, out, really, in terms of the way we measure performance. What The, um, the persimmon fall on... Uh... No, that doesn't help us out because we measure performance from... The closing price on uh, on when when the tips are published, mm. so it'll be the closing price on the Thursday. So um, and then then it opened then it opened on the next day with in the case of Persimmon and fell immediately five percent. Oh, it was horrible. Yes, um, <laughs> as in fact now I, now I remember it. I blanked it from my mind. <laughs> I, I every year I seem to have these moments of pulling my hair out. Um, but anyway, this was this was a broker's view, and it was you know it was a cogent view. You know you can you you know this is what markets are made of. But anyway, it we had the debate ourselves a number of times throughout yes, the course of the year, and we always came down throughout the course of the year on the side. Yeah, there's there's lots of negatives potentially, but the positives yes. far outweigh them. But mid mid year, we actually moved Persman to a hold, and that was around in August, and that was around the top of the um the, the peak of the year. So actually, um you know we 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 we've, we've moved with the market quite well. Obviously, holding we you know we stayed we're staying with the buy was that telling people to stay in it and um persimmon um over the year that's um delivered a 40 percent total return wow. despite the skeptics at the beginning of the year yeah. <laughs> sending it down hill and smith oh hill and smith we're very Fine. keen on that still there's a video up on the website um myself and daniel liberto discussing why we're so keen on hill and smith great little business a bit cyclical crash barriers Crash barriers, but galvanizing. Um, that's where they make they make massive margins on um, galvanizing bits of infrastructure, you know, metal, work, whatever. Especially in America, where um, you set up a plant and there's no competition for miles and miles and miles around. And then um, they've made a great acquisition in the UK recently, where they've bought a rival who's also got their galvanizing um, facilities located where there's no competition anywhere nearby. So it's lifting margins and it's driving profit upgrades and that's driving the share price higher. And there's still, you know, definite space for re-rating with that stock. Great. Fife. Fife, yep. Fife has had a great year. That was our takeover tip of the year. That's been taking over loads of companies. <laughs> well, it did. There was but, a point um, at which someone tried to take it over, wasn't there? But it, it, didn't, there, what, it didn't that, happen. That was um, prior before. to our tip. Yeah, and we, we, yeah. we were saying we're going to see someone come back for Fife's. In actual fact, they haven't. But there is a lot of consolidation in that industry. And Fife's is very good at doing it itself. 
and it also it's a very well run business. So we, we we've been seeing lots of upgrades on the back of the backs of these deals they've been doing, and also um, uh, Investac, I think it was, have have, have looked at um, how much money they've still got to spend potentially on acquisitions, and um, and and kind of calculated what the uplift to earnings would be if they were as successful as past acquisitions said, there's 8% upside if they can actually just deploy um, the capital they've got available on acquisitions. So, I mean, that story is still, you know, a go along the lines that it, um, that made it a success last year. Who would have thought there was so much money in bananas? Yeah, and there pineapples. And pineapples. Uh, <laughs> and, of course, uh, the, it wasn't the takeover tip of the year. Um, it was our value tip of the year, but it got taken over. Pace. Pace, yeah, Pace was taken over. And, uh, you know, Pace, there's a lot of scepticism, or there has been around this stock, because it's um, one of these stocks which is um, in trouble with disruptive technologies. We call it, you know, the streaming services, which because uh, it makes set-top boxes. Mm. Actually, it's been very good at kind of making its set-top boxes really cutting edge and trying to put them at the centre of the, this kind of, you know, interconnected home or whatever you'd call it, you know, where all your devices run through, um, hopefully one of Pace's boxes. Um, any, anyway, um, Aris... A slightly, well, you know, arguably a bit less successful. He's a US competitor, which has been a bit less successful at that same game. Arguably, I'd say again. They, they've taken it over to kind of spruce up their business. But unfortunately, what happened, We they put in the offer. The shares were up, I think, about 35%. That was still a big discount to the implied offer price, but part of it was in Aris shares. So we correctly bet that the takeover deal would go through and get all the clearances it needed. It did, but unfortunately, Aris's share price had fallen so much by that point that um, the Pace shares worth less when the deal finally went through than they were at the time the deal was announced. But with the, the, you know, they still delivered a total return of twenty three percent. Not bad at all. So yeah, not bad at good all. Start. So a good year then. A, a good, good year. year, and we've had a few good years in a row. We yeah. have, yeah, yeah, five, um, five good years. Well, 2014 was. Um, very marginal. Marginal. Uh, we we yeah, Zambief was a complete disaster for us in that in that year, and that really brought down the um, the performance. But anyway, if only we'd gone oh, Zytronic. Zytronic, yeah, Zytronic or Zambief, but anyway, we went for the wrong one. Never mind. Yeah, yeah. and and well, yeah, yeah. This year you could say it was record on McBride. So we <laughs> yes, anyway. McBride had a spectacular. That was um, actually I'm going to just bring in Harriet here because mm. that was yours, wasn't it? It was mine. It was a joint effort, I'll say, between myself and and Julia Bradshaw. I, I had something to do with that as well. <laughs> But yes, I, I did end up uh, writing it. So um, yes, hundred percent was it near enough? Yeah, near it enough. was. When yeah. I last looked at it, it was ninety. It was up ninety in the last tip update I did. So well, um, we can we can blame it all on the tips editor anyway because it's up to him who goes in the tips <laughs> and, uh, and you know you pick the wrong ones twice yes. in a row. Yes, you're sacked. <laughs> <laughs> but in my defence, okay, let's let's look at let's look at the longer term record, uh, which is actually I haven't been tips editor for over this entire time. It's a testament to the team. It's. Uh, Five years, uh, the tips of the year on a cumulative basis. So this is, you roll the performance of one year, you just move into the next portfolio the, the, for the new year. They've delivered a 95% total return compared to 28% from the market. And um, what, what I've done also to kind of give a more realistic view is um, put in a 1% per annum charge because you have things like spreads and, you know, dealing costs and mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. The total return is still 86%. And that 86% actually also... I, I looked at all the all-company investment funds on um, Trustnet, and that's um, yeah, I mean it's, it's better than um, all but eleven of I think two hundred and forty okay. funds which um, we looked at. So um, so, no, doing, so so we're closing well the magazine it. down, 
And we're starting an actively managed fund. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, 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 these comparisons are kind. Of, you know, we're kind of we're presenting ideas, and I know, read, read, I know. you know, readers have to, you know, look at them and understand them and do their research and take, you know, take them as they will. But I mean, you know, it's, it's just it's just a useful, um, you know, it's useful to have yardsticks just to see if we're doing our our job and finding good ideas for our readership. Yeah, and I think we are. So well done, Algie. Hopefully. Well done, everybody else. It's uh, it's been a tremendous. Uh, yeah, 2015. We kind of stuck to the same principles this year. Yeah. Playing it a bit safe, which I think yeah, is wise. Staying away from oil and, and China. I mean, obviously, we'll carry on um, looking to recommend ideas which give exposure to the, those kind of very, very um, contrarian themes in our tips of the week section. We don't, we know, we never abandon. Um, areas of the stock market because we know you know we know their readers who want to make base strategies on mm. very contrarian plays but um we i mean we you know we we're more and more anything to do with the, the, those kind of sectors we headline as speculative investments at some point these sectors will rebound and i mean in in a way for 2016 as it was as was the case in 2015 one of the biggest risks in the selection of eight shares we put together is that they don't embrace that very, those very contrarian themes because when those themes come back, we're probably going to see a very you know sharp bounce in share prices. Yeah, it's, just, it's, a, it's a question of from where, and I mean it could be if you get a hundred percent bounce, it takes another fifty percent drop before then for that hundred percent to you know mean nothing. It's, well, indeed, it's still flat. So. Indeed, and, it, and if the uh, you know if the miners and the the oil producers have a good year, yeah, the FTSE is going to do a lot better, and we're going to probably underperform it but yes yeah hey what yeah. can you do yeah what can you do anyway so yeah i appreciate i've been working you very hard over the uh <laughs> over christmas period the oh, christmas. Yes. You did the tips of the week review yes and yeah. we, we beat the market with those as well yeah yeah i mean it's, a, it's, it's always messy the tips of the week review you've got 50 periods in a year to look at because we tip every week yeah got endless indices you know to judge them against because we try and judge them against you know if it's a small cap share against a small cap aim against aim but yeah, no, I think it was um, overall there was a five point three percent outperformance, and I think the number, the percentage of the shares which outperformed uh, based on our tips was sixty three percent. So the hit rate, basically. The, yeah, the hit rate, uh, and that that level was brought down by um, the speculative tips um, were um, a lot, a lot. You know, as you'd expect, they're a lot less uh, successful in terms of hit rate. Mm. But I mean, you know, people have their expectations and who am I to say what's right or wrong? But I think that's a pretty impressive Well, I think, it's pretty, I think it's pretty good given that, you know, we're presenting ideas. I, I uh-huh. use that word deliberately yeah, rather yeah. than tips every week. And you would expect a reversion to the mean, a reversion to the yeah. market performance. And we, we haven't. Yeah, no, so, I mean, you know, the, we're doing something right in our stock picking techniques. Yes, yeah, so the, the reality is you're going to, whatever, you know, your process is, you have to expect losers and you, you want to cut the losers and run the winners. And, yeah. Yeah, so. and the other thing on the subject of stock picking techniques, you wrote a great feature in our sort of oh, between Christmas and New Year <laughs> issues on small cap fund managers yeah. uh, and, and some of well, the strategies they use to, yeah. to, to beat the market. Re- really, I mean, it was a feature which was written for me, basically, by the well, by the interviews with the fund managers. So it's, um, it's the second one of these features that I've done, uh, Investment Essentials. Which I haven't called, called them in any of the... <laughs> I keep on uh, calling them Investment <laughs> Essentials and <laughs> you keep on referring to them as other things, but... <laughs> No, so the, the idea is we um, talk to some of the best fund managers in the business. We ask them for three ratios or, you know, kind of fundamentals based bits of analysis that they find essential to their stock picking process. So, you know, for example, we've got Alex Wright from Fidelity 
saying that he loves them uh, to uh, the enterprise value to sales ratio, and then we explain it and give it, and then give it his, him talking about his view on it, mm. and um, and also one uh, one of the um, ratios he loves. Which I've never heard of before, and um, I don't know if anyone else uses it. This is a broker thing, isn't it? This is yeah. This is market cap to number of brokers covering a stock. I can put, I can see and, how that might work. And yeah, it's, when he explains it in the piece, you, it's suddenly like, of course, this is a great ratio. This is how you know, how, you know, it's a brilliant way to find under-researched stocks where you know where we know there's real value to be um, had from you know doing doing research. These are under you know under love companies. The type the type of companies that um. Peter Lynch, the kind of, you know, Fidelity's kind of, you know, doyen, you know, they're, they're, the, they're kind, you know, the kind of companies he used to love kind mm. of thing. So it's a yeah, great ratio and one I've never heard of before. And we've got some excellent comments from Mike Prentice also, a real kind of breakdown of, um, you know, his, his, his ratios. Where's he work from? From BlackRock. BlackRock. Really, really great small cap manager who's been doing it for a long time. And he kind of basically breaks down how to look for value through sales and it coming out of his profit and cash at the other end. And Harry Nemo from Standard Life, a real veteran mm. and, um, you know, a really smart guy. And um, he's got some really great stuff to say, especially on director's dealings. When when they actually work, he's found in, with large caps, he doesn't think following directors works at all. It does with small caps, but only under the right circumstances. Yeah. So anyway, you can read all about it. Yeah, well, you, you could have on the uh, on the newsstand, but you won't be able to by the time you read this. But Online. we do have a website and you can buy back issues on uh, our digital versions as well. So if you want, it, I mean, it's a fascinating feature. I thought it was great, Algie, and uh, you, w- yeah. well done. I know it was uh, almost killed you in the run up to Christmas, uh, whereas drinking <laughs> almost killed me. Um, so I uh, know good, good work. I did some of that too. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Algie. Thank you. Okay, so that brings us to a close. Lots in the magazine this week, as well as the tips of the year. A, a great sector focus from Emma Powell on the recruiters. Uh, we've got John Barron with the investment trust portfolio. Not many results. Lots in the fun section. We're looking at all the fun tips that we did last year. We've got some new fun tips for this year. They'll no doubt be talking about those on their podcast tomorrow. We're kind of sort of hitting the ground of 2016 without barely a breath taken over Christmas because <laughs> we're getting into FTSE 350 mode now which I'm sure you've been told about this week. I learned about this today. First FTSE 350. Yeah. Bradley's in for a treat. Yeah, um, it's, it's a, it's a My initials thing. were popping up an awful lot of times <laughs> in that bit of paper. Yeah. yeah, end of the month that comes out, but we're going to be working on that too. It's, a, it's basically a review of the entire market, the FTSE 350. Sector by sector, it's a great thing that you can keep on your desks all year. Anyway, Happy New Year once again. Pick up the magazine, Tips of the Year, all good news agents, £4.70, and we'll be back again next week. Thank you very much.